0: Hello and welcome back to The Huddle as we inch closer and closer to the start of NBL 22. I'm Liam Santa Maria and that man right there is Dan Shamir, head coach of the New Zealand Breakers. Coach, welcome. Thanks for joining me and uh, good to see you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How are you going? I'm doing okay under the circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the circumstances because they've been rough. But you're back on the floor. How are you enjoying being back on the floor with the fellas?
1: It's good. Um, in the big picture, it's still uh, not so easy to do professional sports um, in this part of the world right now. With all, without uh, blaming anybody, you now we all know that it's not uh, in our hands, and this is uh, um, we know what the world is going through. But uh, with uh, the struggles, uh, at least we're not at home and just thinking about uh, how far we
0: are from playing basketball and we're just getting a step closer every day. I talk about these, the disruptions when you guys in your lockdown recently, unlike other teams in lockdown across different spots of Australia, you were not able to get out on the floor. You were not able to get any of the guys into the gym. It was a hundred percent stay pretty much at home. What is it, what is it now? What, what can you actually get done on a day-to-day basis right now as those COVID restrictions ease across the ditch? It's
1: still uh, strict.
0: Uh, you, were talk- you were talking about, uh,
1: I think, four or five weeks that uh, we were in a very hard lockdown. So I assume it's uh, the same for most people. The beginning is fun. You're at home. Uh, you don't have to work. And uh, you spend time with the family, but after uh, two weeks, you start worrying about your players, not, not lifting weights and not touching a ball and not taking shots. So then the panic uh, sinks in. Um, we're waiting for confirmation, obviously, and uh, clarification on when the season is going to start, what exactly format is going to be. Then we're going to be able to play in the preseason. So right now, we're still uh, a little bit uh, far off and uh, we're, just, uh, how we're in a position... Um, just like any team in the world, eight, nine weeks before the season where people just get into the pre, pre-season mode, just get a little bit uh, moving and ready and body ready for it to start.
0: Um, we're going to get a little bit more positive and optimistic as we go here, but I want to take you back. One of our first kind of in-depth conversations was in the airport at Oklahoma City heading back from your NBL NBA games two years ago, pretty much probably to the day right now. And you said to me that, I've, you said, I, over the course of my career, I've never had a, season, a pre-season, a lead up to a season as disrupted as what we've had here and now. And then since then, that just hasn't let up. You came back a couple of weeks later, Scotty Hobson gets injured. Glenn Rice Jr. comes in, the pandemic hits, you're displaced all of last season. I mean, where do these last couple of years sit for you in terms of your career in the game, as far as the level of challenge that you've had to deal with?
1: I'll put it this way. Um, I love the New Zealand Breakers. I love the the people around. I love New Zealand. And... um, I just strongly believe in the organization that we have. It's a very unique um, combination for me. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfect from a professional standpoint. Um, I have a great owner. Um, we have a nice facility, great uh, local core. I really believe in what we got and we're just all waiting. It's been extremely frustrating, but we're waiting to have a normal season where you can really play basketball. And the first, I'm not going to take you back two years uh, from now, but to the first season, but those challenges were normal professional challenges. Uh, I, I got here and we needed to figure out how we're going to do things. I have my background. We're going to find a way to work. It's, it's been uh, a process back then, but uh, after a few months, we felt we got it. We felt you know that we're going we're to just improve from here. Uh, and obviously the last year and a half were uh, extremely tough to just bring it, bring those results to the floor. So last year we were thinking, okay, let's just survive this. You know, we, we believe in what we're doing, but it's really tough. Let's survive this season, get to the next one, and hopefully we'll have a normal season. And uh, now we are at the point that... Um, And then Delta hit now, and we're hoping that at least this season is not going to be the same. We're going to be able to uh, be functional. We already know, at least, you know, we have to be realistic. You know that we're going to have some challenges at the beginning. I hope that we're a little bit more prepared. It's been rough for a lot of people in the world. I'm not complaining, but, uh, you know, for a basketball team to be a little bit isolated, not being able to bring the players, not being able to practice, uh, these are things that, you know, it's just it's just uh, tough to prepare yourself. Hopefully, we'll get over all those obstacles when the seasons come. How are you feeling about your roster? How are you feeling about the roster? Yeah. You know, coaches always talk about the roster before the season and they are excited. And I am too. You know, and I'm excited to see my players. Um, it's a combination of a uh, few interesting. Uh, you know, parts of the world. So we have youth in uh, Usman Dieng and uh, um, Hugo Besson, young players, fresh, a lot to teach, very talented. We have the experience with uh, Peyton Siva and the leadership, and we have the locals that are continuing to, And And, you know, I personally believe in each and every part of, uh, of that. And then the games will start and we'll see what, what really happens on the floor. But uh, right now, we are excited to see what, what
0: comes out of that. Now, um let's talk about the roster construction a little bit, because there's been a bit go on, as there, there usually does over the course of the off-season. How did things play out with Corey Webster and the parting of ways between the club and him? My understanding is that there was a pretty frank conversation to say, Corey, we understand you're under contract. But the, the the God's honest truth is there's probably not a massive role for you on this team this coming season. So if you want to explore opportunities elsewhere, go ahead. Is is the, is that how it played out? And if so, what was the, the thinking behind having that conversation and moving down that path?
1: Yeah, so I love sharing all these things. It's a process uh, building, a, building a team. And you finish the season and you're thinking – who do you wanna get? And you start exploring in a few directions. We really wanted to keep Will McDowell White. I love this guy. And um, so we reached out to him and you're working in a few directions and we wanted to keep Ty Webster. So uh, we told him we wanna keep you, and we made an offer. So you're working in a few directions and you never know what the end result is gonna be. So uh, yeah, you're going in a few directions. We had Corey as an asset. We uh, extended him just, you know, when in the first thing that you were talking about, we extended him for another two or three years. So he's an asset and so We didn't think it's going to go in this direction back then. But all of a sudden, we found ourselves in a situation where our local squad is built from Will McDowell White, who decided to commit. He likes what we're doing. He thinks it can really develop with us. Um, Ty wants to stay and we have an opportunity to get Yanni Wetzel, who, you know, is, is a huge, uh, foundation for us, local guy that, uh, we love his personality and game. So all these great things are happening and you need to decide what are you doing? And yes, at this point, it was a very, I am we're always... Taking uh, Doing the most logical thing and the right thing to do at any given time. And at this point, the, the right thing was to show Corey the depth chart. And this is, uh, it, I mean, makes a lot of sense, you know, to everybody. And as much as we love Corey, it's probably not the best place for you from all angles. Now, let's, let's all do what the right thing is for us in our business. And as it turned out, he found himself in a different place.
0: Then a couple of weeks later, things shift again. The grounds shift again when when Ty makes the decision he's not going to get vaccinated, that the the mutual release takes place. What what are your thoughts on that decision that he made? Um,
1: So there was a huge blow because we invested a lot in Ty. We just just, uh, secured him for two years and we know how good he is and once again, very strong local uh, player, you know how important that is in the NBL and everywhere. Um, obviously it's not a basketball decision. It's not a basketball issue. It's a new thing where the whole world is going through that. However, yeah, I'm also not a guy who's afraid to make, or is afraid to make a stand, you know, and be clear with my players and with you and with the media, with the fans. Think basketball players and all the players need to get vaccinated these days. It's gonna be mandatory, it's important. It's not something I can tell anybody, I can't tell him to get vaccinated. You know, it's a very personal thing. Me, myself, I'm vaccinated, or my family is vaccinated. That's all the only thing I can say about our our own situation. But if you want to be a basketball player, it needs to be it needs to be a clear stand from everybody that you need to do that. I'm a little bit surprised that nobody did that, but us started communicating this. And telling him, listen, you're not going to be able to get on the airplane and go play a single game if you're not vaccinated. So if you decide not to, then we have a problem here. And again, it was uh, frank enough and open enough to understand that he doesn't want to do it. And therefore, he cannot play in the NBA.
0: And as a result, that the, the, the flow on effect from that was you guys said, well, that changes what we're going to do with our import. We're going to bring in a big to sit there alongside Yanni and... Rob Lowe, Finn Delaney at the five and the four. Maybe we need to instead bring someone in, in the backcourt. You already had Peyton Seaver on board. And as you say, William McDowell, White, Hugo Besson. But Ty goes out. Now Jeremiah Martin comes in. As a guy I know, a couple of other NBL teams have had their radar on over the course of the last few months. High, high level defender. How did you land on him? And what kind of role do you see him playing this season? So, luckily for us, we had this import spot.
1: We were not looking to use it, uh, at least in the beginning. You look at the chart with Thai, and this is why Thai was such a huge piece of uh, our buildup. Um, we thought we're going to keep that last spot for anything that happens if we want it uh, later on. We had our first unit and second unit in place. Luckily for us, we had that, so we could just uh, go into the import market and replace, uh, replace Ty. Um, why I like Jeremiah is that um, you know, he takes so many boxes for us. Um, I really love, first of all, his talent. When you see what he can do. Uh, when you watch a player, I usually watch the good games. The average game is the bad games. It's very important to have the complete package. So if you look at the good games, you look at the uh, two 24 and 20 20 point games in the bubble in the NBA bubble on a playoff uh, team two years ago, you see his talent and what he can do in the good game. Um, He's number one versatility, so he can play two positions for us. Him being a two-way player, as you can see, he's a good defender. He plays hard. uh, that, that, that's a box he takes. I like everything about him. Obviously, every player has a few little things to, that you, need, you know you're going to have to work on. Jeremiah will play internationally for the first time for a European-style uh, system, probably an adjustment over there. But um, I think he can be a force in the NBL. I like him together with Hugo. I like him together with Usman. Uh, it's very easy to play with Peyton and with, uh, with the wheel. So I uh, just thought, you know, just a, good, a great replacement for a tie. Let's jump on the opportunity.
0: Um, let's talk about Hugo, because I've been hearing word out of your practice sessions that he's been really impressive in the early going. What, what are your early impressions of Hugo Besson? I
1: don't know why I am you know if 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 I reflected myself or people reflected me they know that I'm uh, they would say that I'm a very structured guy who likes data and likes little details I and you know, I'm a coach that developed I was never a player I never had the 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 one on one and looking at a pick and roll from the inside and not the little things that players are so good with I'm a coach that grew up from the screen, from the details, from the data, from the numbers, and I'm very structured. And somehow I like players that are the complete opposite and and, uh, (laughs) they have just this good instincts. And Hugo is just a basketball player. Mm -hmm. So he's 20 years old. He's got a lot to learn. I don't think he knows everything about being a professional player, how to eat, how to sleep, how to practice, how to prepare for a game. But he just knows knows how to play, and and he's got this. I, I even see it in the way he looks at me, like yeah, okay, good. I'm, yeah, you know, this is good that you're telling me. And then he goes and he does what he wants to do. And I love players like that that play with balls, and um, and he's very exciting for
0: everybody who watches him, and it's very exciting to work with. I'm gonna say. You love players like that, but you also love the complete opposite. You love the Tom Abercrombie and the Finn Delaney who looks at you in the eye and says, okay, if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to do exactly that.
1: So the bottom line is probably that in a healthy basketball team, you can't have everybody like Tom and you probably can't have everybody like Hugo as well. So uh, (laughs) you need one guy who curses you in
0: French and nine others that just follow. Well, the cool thing this season is you're going to have two guys cursing you in French because you've got Usman on the roster as well. I mean, this kid, six foot 10 in shoes now, still growing, incredibly talented. How good do you think Usman Dieng could become?
1: If we're talking long, long term, a few years from now, and I'm not very good with that, and this is not my job predicting stuff that would be four years from now. This is what the NBA scouts and GMs are supposed to do. And I could never tell what somebody can become. It's okay. It's just you and me talking. Nobody's yeah. listening. But under that, with all that uh, intro, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. So we just measured him 206, as you say, 206 plus, between 206 and seven, bare feet, huge wingspan. And the talent level is just uh, incredible. So I'm thinking a French player in the NBA because I I cannot commit and I cannot guarantee anything, but um, the only comparisons that I can think of are very, very big names. Now, there are a few years for him to get there because growing up so quickly, so I don't want people to quote me in two months, when he has a bad game, saying, "Okay, this guy is going to be a franchise player," because he needs to develop physically. Okay, this is this is what everybody will will see. He's got a, a road to go in terms of physical development, but it's very natural. Now, at his age, he couldn't make up for all that, and he grew up. I think maybe two plus inches in the last few months. But what he can do with the ball and his feel to the game and his length and his passing ability and vision and how fluid is he with the ball. is just incredible. I think he's a total freak when I look at him in terms of the the basketball package. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to be the one to enjoy it just because he's going to get pushed around a little bit. It's going to be tough to come, you know, to play in this physical league against with this kind of body right now. But once he gets over
0: that, I'm seeing an unbelievable player. That's that is very exciting for the rest of us who don't have the responsibility of coaching him. and can sit back and in, enjoy the ride. Um, it's a real juggling act, I think, coaching a team in a league as good as this and as competitive as this. And at the same time, taking on board these young NBA prospects and helping to prepare them for the next level. I mean, when you came into the to that challenge coaching RJ Hampton, you were very strong on the message. Like I'm gonna coach you exactly like I coach every other player on the team. Now, I wonder whether you still feel that way about Usman and Hugo and the approach I think every coach who's coaching these yet these next stars and these prospects are kind of approaching it differently. But do you is can an NBL team win the title and at the same time prepare one of these and in your case two of these youngsters for the NBA? Can you achieve both of those things at the same time?
1: First of all, as you know me, I don't like empty titles and empty words. So. I don't know, nobody knows, uh, it's, it's, it's still to be seen, in all honesty, because um, there's obviously, we, a lot of NBA teams are facing the same thing. You don't see a lot of that in the international basketball, but in the NBA you do. Teams that are rebuilding are usually not the teams that are winning championships, and the conflict between win now or develop now is a conflict. Uh, You say that it's juggling and we believe that it's possible that you're going to pay some price for the learning curve. Obviously, we want these players for a lot of reasons. Uh, It's good for the league. It's good for the team. Um, There are a lot of business uh, ideas into it, but we also want another player. So the New Zealand Breakers in the last two years were never in a a position where they had too many players. And I want Usman Diang on my team from a coaching uh, perspective also to to have an extra player, to have a guy that, uh, you know, with all the tough schedule and the back-to-backs and the travel and the injuries, you have another good player that can play. This is also, it helps you as a team. Now... It's everybody's work and this is the second time we're going into this experience. Hopefully we're, good, we're better uh, than we were back then. Part of it is also the right expectations from everybody. But yes, the ultimate, achieving the ultimate goal is uh, getting to the Final Four, getting to the Finals, uh, winning titles and putting these guys in the first round next year at the highest peak possible. Um, just to... Just
0: to put a cap on this conversation about these youngsters these next stars it's kind of a cool thing this season the kind of pivot that the program's taken for the league where we've got these guys coming in from europe and it's not just the two guys that you've got we've got tom digbo in brisbane coming in from france uh ariel Huckporty coming in the german who has been playing in lithuania for melbourne united and nikita mikhailovsky in tasmania and what's cool for me about these guys is yes they're 19 20 years old but they've already played a year or two of pro ball. Unlike some of the next stars we've had previously who have each had their own level of success in the program, but we're coming in out of high school after playing with kids. I mean, how do you feel like that's gonna be a, a, a bit different for these guys who already have that kind of experience? You're
1: not going to get a guy who's more excited about it than me, that the league is going a little bit European, just (laughs) with that. Uh, I think it's good for the NBL, generally speaking. Um, You know, the NBL has uh, changed and grown a lot in the last few years. And uh, it's 100% a great uh, league. And I think that just having this bit of an extra angle, that it's not only Americanized and it's not only NBA-oriented, and people actually look at the European game and it starts developing under this angle, I think it's only going to be good. And we have a little bit of a part in that, you know, in in stuff that I'm being asked most of the time about style of play. And now a few European players are coming in. I think it's a great thing. When I here and there talk to my players about uh, European basketball and European, even legendary coaches, and they didn't know who they were, I was kind of surprised, and uh, I think it's a great thing that people are, come, are bringing uh, this experience and this kind of different culture of way of doing things, and some influence both way. Both ways is great.
0: Hey, we've seen a couple of trailers drop in the last couple of weeks for the five-part doco with Sky Sport New Zealand on your experiences last season. Are you uh, are you nervous about what's going to go to air? Are you? excited to see how what, what they've put together?
1: I probably should be nervous, uh, but <laughs> I am excited because, um, you know, we all love documentaries about sports. Everybody mm. loves those and everybody's watching. It's, it started with 30 for 30 of ESPN and uh, now The Last Dance and Netflix has a few because all the drama in sports translates so well into mm. documentaries. And uh, we were away for five, six months last year, Doing, going through everything we went through. People don't get to see and know anything about it. They just see us play, see us struggling most of the time. And just to look at what the people are going through, I think it's very interesting Uh, It's a great thing that the breakers are doing, providing this uh, angle. Mm. And I'm sure I haven't seen anything. I'm seeing just the promos, just like you. I'm sure they're also doing good work and just presenting the reality as it was and with the good and the bad. And uh, we're probably not going to look perfect over there, but we're going to look genuine and you are going to see how, how, you know, I think that, I think, you know, coaching and being in pro sports, it's about, all the struggles and all the conflicts and all the just coping with things, coping with the wins and the losses and everything in between. And uh, if uh, you can get a glance for what uh, a team that is not doing so well on the court is going through, I think uh,
0: you're going to love it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because, uh, yeah, I mean, you. I love talking the game with you. I love talking the actual game. I love talking the business, the industry, and um, because it's such a, Straight shooter, and hopefully we're going to see more and more of that on the on the doco. And hopefully you guys have overcome all of those same kind of challenges this season, but get a whole bunch more wins on the board as well. So thanks, Eves, for the chat, mate, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much, and uh, hope to see you soon, Liam. Wouldn't in that be good 3D. in 3D? <laughs> Cheers, mate.